home, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. Have you ever had a plan go awry? You know, you, you thought you knew what was going to happen, you put it all together in your mind and it didn't happen the way you thought it should? That's what I kept thinking about during worship, actually. Um, I kept thinking about the song we were singing about the fact that the darkness that surrounded Christ in the grave was such that the enemy thought he had won. But Paul tells us in Corinthians that if he had only realized what was going to happen, he never would have crucified Jesus. Can you imagine what happened in the depths of hell when Christ first began to breathe in the grave? It's like all of a sudden a shudder goes through all of the imps of hell, all the demons and Satan himself. And they realized, uh-oh, our plan is not going the way we thought it would. And then the Scripture tells us this, the same Spirit that was in Christ that raised Him from the dead dwells in you. Did you know that? The same Spirit. Say, say that. The same Spirit. Not a different Spirit. Not a lesser Spirit. Not a diminished, washed out Spirit. But the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. If that's not good news, we don't know what good news is anymore. Our lives have been changed because of that breath He breathed as the Spirit breathed into the Son of God. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about a story. Some of you might even know this story. How many of you know the story of a little puppet or mannequin that gets swallowed by a whale and he lights a candle in it and it causes the whale to spit him out on the shore. How many of you know that story? Did you know that comes from the Bible? Well, maybe not exactly. But the story of Jonah is something I believe probably those creators borrowed from to be able to tell this story. Uh, to some people, the story of, Noah, or of Jonah is a myth. It's a made-up story. For others, it's an allegory. It's like a story with a lesson attached to it. For others, it's kind of symbolic. But I want to suggest to you that Jonah is a very real story. A real man. A real account that really happened. Um, it's, some people think it's a story of a fishing escapade. Much like maybe... Josiah and Eli would have if they went out fishing with their dad. You know when you come back with a fish and you tell your mom about the fish you caught? The fish was this big. And it kept growing in size. For others, it's a fishy story. You wonder if it could possibly be true. Years ago, my father-in-law preached a sermon on Jonah and he called it the tail of a whale or the whale of a tail. And I don't know which it is for you, but I want us to take the next few weeks and look at the story of Jonah chapter by chapter. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this somewhat as a Sunday school story for our kids that are present. I want them to pay attention to what's going on and even what we have created for them. It is more than just a Sunday school lesson. It's more than a made-up story with a morale. It is a story of a man who struggled with what God asked him to do. So, uh, would you turn to Jonah chapter 1? Jonah 1 and verse 1. 
Follow along with me up on the screen if you would. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now you first need to know that Jonah was a prophet. How many of you kids know what a prophet is? Any of you guys? How many of you kids? What's a prophet? Speak up. Yeah. Okay. Somebody who tells, let me make sure I heard you right, somebody who tells other people about the Lord. Is that right? So they hear from God, and then they tell people what God is saying. That's what a prophet is. And Jonah was a prophet. The prophet is a man who hears from God and then tells other people what God says. Now, Jonah's name means dove or white one. But we don't usually think of him as a white, pure man. We don't think of him as a dove. We think of him as a man who was reluctant to obey God. And then it says he was the son of Amittai. Amittai means truth. So here we have a prophet who is the son of truth. And that's, that's a good thing to be if you're going to be a prophet. A man who is the son of truth. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was Israel's absolute worst enemy. Now, keep that in mind. We'll talk about that more in a moment. So, he went to, he was arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So, Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, the really good news for you today is that God is a speaking God. God spoke then and God still speaks today. In fact, whether you realize it or not, God speaks to you. All throughout time, God spoke to people using different means. Sometimes he spoke in an audible voice. Has God ever spoken to you in an audible voice? Or what felt to you like it was so loud inside of you that it felt audible? It was God's audible voice, or what really seemed audible to me at the time, that brought me here to Warsaw. I had come here to visit with no intention of staying one moment longer than my time preaching here as a guest speaker. And when I got to Pavilion, on our way home to Watertown, I felt like God spoke audibly to me and said, you're going to be the pastor at that church. And my response was, no thank you, God. I liked Watertown. And this church at the time was in upheaval. And I didn't want to come. But I felt like God had spoken an audible word to me. Sometimes God speaks through prophets. Has... has A prophet or a prophetess ever spoken a word over you and you know it was God? Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God speaks just through circumstances. Something happens and we realize God's saying something to us. Other times, He speaks to us by His Holy Spirit, by just a sense in our own heart. We we feel like we're hearing God inside. And sometimes, probably more often than that, God speaks to us 
through his written word, the Bible. God has spoken, and God still speaks. That's the good news. The challenge is this, and this is my first point for you today. When God comes to you, he will often ask you to do some things that you don't understand or want to do. When God comes and speaks to you, it's not unusual for him to say for you to do something or say something that you don't want to do. Um, the reason we don't want to do them is most often, if we're honest, we think we know better. We think we know better than God what should happen or what should be said. For example, um, what is the best ice cream flavor? Is it chocolate or vanilla? Is that the best ice cream flavor you've got? What about ooey gooey brownie? What about, what is it? Betty's off her rocker. What about strawberry? My dad's favorite. In a room this size, we can have all kinds of different opinions about what's better. And if we can have different opinions about something so small as ice cream flavors, although I know some of you would like to fight about that, but if we can have differences of opinion about ice cream flavors, what about really important stuff? Is it possible that part of the reason why we struggle with what God says is because we have a different opinion than God does. We think we actually know better than God. Many times we think, and, and tell me if this is not true for you, has it not been in your mind that if I could only hear God more clearly, I would know exactly what to do? Haven't you thought that? But here's a man who heard God clearly. A man who was a prophet of God, a servant of God. And even though he heard God clearly, he didn't want to do it. I'm not so sure if you did hear God clearly if it would help you. Or me. Because we tend to think we know better than God. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now you might think, Jonah's a prophet, a prophet, even as we've already been told today by our youth, Jonah's a prophet who's supposed to hear from God and then tell people what God's saying. So why wouldn't he do it? Well, I told you at the beginning, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was an empire that was very large, that was Israel's worst enemy. Uh, if you look at Nineveh and Assyria today, it's comprised of Iran, Iraq, Turkey, and Syria. That's how big it is. So what's now four nations was one nation back then called Assyria, and Nineveh was its capital. Nineveh, historians tell us, had a population of between 600,000 and 1 million people. It's about the size of Washington, D.C. And most historians, even those historians who are not Christian in basis, most historians say that Assyria was probably the most violent, cruel nation that has ever existed upon the earth. One historian said it makes the Nazis of Germany look like child's play compared to what they do. I could tell you things, but because we have children present, I don't want to do that. But the things they did were so evil, they would disgust most anyone. And that's the people that God told Jonah to go and preach to. Now you would think, God says to Jonah, go and tell them, I'm going to destroy them 
because they've been so evil, you would think Jonah would say, yay! But he doesn't. And we're going to find out a little bit later why Jonah doesn't buy into God's plan. But these were the arch enemies of Israel, and Jonah hated them every bit as much as his nation hated them. Jonah had what I'm going to call a nationalistic faith. He felt like he and his people ought to get all of God's blessing and that the Ninevites, the Assyrians, didn't deserve any of it. Much like a lot of people in Christianity today. They believe that the United States of America is specially anointed by God and ought to get all the best over every other nation as if somehow God loves us more than He loves them. And many times, we want nothing to do with those groups. You, you name them, the Taliban. You, you name the groups that you believe are so evil that they're unworthy of the love of God. And that's much how Jonah felt. His people deserve God's special grace and God's special forgiveness. Jonah despised them. And in his mind, he had legitimate reasons for why he should not go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to them. He was right and God was wrong. Uh, I can remember the first time this happened for me. I was at Elam and Paul Johansson made a suggestion to all of the student body at the time. He was talking about the sins of our fathers, the things that our fathers, specifically fathers, not mothers, but our fathers had done wrong, that had hurt us. And he made a suggestion that we go and we actually forgive them. And I can remember at the time, I was sitting in a chapel service and I thought, forgive him? After all that he has done to me, you want me to forgive him? Are you freaking nuts? He doesn't deserve forgiveness. And that's just the way Jonah felt about Nineveh and the Assyrians. Maybe God has spoken some things to you and you have found it challenging. In fact, maybe you have even said no to God. Uh, maybe it's about um, the tithe. Um, the tithe, by the way, is where God says we are to give the first 10% of everything that he provides to us. And when I first heard that teaching, I thought to myself, I've worked hard for this money. It's my hard-earned money, and I'm not giving it to anyone, especially to some ushers. Who, who, how do I know they're not helping themselves to the bag on their way out the door? And a treasurer? How do I know I can trust him? How do I know he will use my money wisely? And so... I didn't tithe for a long time. And then I met Karen. And she and I began to date, and then to court, and ultimately to get married. And she was raised all of her life, taught and practicing tithing. I still didn't want to tithe. But finally, some years go by with us kind of struggling over this issue because we were both working separate jobs. She had money, I had money. So I don't want my money going there. Finally, I decided that I would obey the voice of God only to discover the blessing of, number one, my money no longer owning or controlling, controlling me, and number two, the blessing of God actually putting His hand upon my finances, causing it to actually be enlarged, more than I ever could have hoped. I struggled over the issue of tithing. 
And, and I knew it wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. But like Jonah, I struggled to obey that. Maybe God has whispered something to you and your response is what a dear sister in this church once said to me. I, I was having a conversation with her about something I felt was from the Lord and I said to her, here's what I feel like God is saying. Now again, I'm not commanding, I'm offering her what I feel like God is saying and her response was, I know that's God, I know it's what God wants, but I can't do it right now and God will just have to understand. And in my mind, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind I thought, he does. He understands that you're a stinking rebel. But how many times have we done the same thing? We're no better than anybody else. God speaks words to us and we struggle to obey. We say, I'll think about it. I'll take some time and process this, God, and I'll, I'll let you know when I have come down on your side. One of the things I have discovered that is a hard lesson for all of us. And I don't know if I put it up on the screen, but if I didn't, you can get this anyways. And that is this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Think about that for a minute. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Aaron McManus, who is an author and a pastor in California, talks about the measure of maturity being what he calls the lag time. It's the time between when we hear the voice of God and we know God's telling us to do something or say something and we actually do it. That lag time is the measure of our maturity in God. And I want to ask you, what's your lag time today? When God speaks to you, especially when you know it's something you really don't want to do, you don't want to say, you know, one of the things I have found is that when Karen and I are having a struggle, which we do sometimes, we, we struggle over things because we're both very strong-willed people. We're human beings. We struggle, just like you do. But we can struggle over something, and inside I'm hearing the voice of God whisper to me, just say you're sorry. Humble yourself before the Lord and before your wife. And inside I'm thinking, she's way better at starting this than I am. I like it better when she first says, I'm sorry. I like that better. So God, is it okay if I wait for her to say it and then I will say it? We do this kind of thing all the time. It's not got to be big. Sometimes it's just simple things that God has spoken to us in our heart. So my first point is, the word of the Lord will come to you and when he does, sometimes he will ask you to do things and say things you don't want to do. Number two, whenever God does speak, you can always find a boat sailing in the opposite direction. We've got a boat here. Look at, look at the verse, verse 3. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to suggest that as we take these weeks and we go through Jonah, you pay attention to words that repeat themselves a lot. It's not that God forgets, it's God using a word to emphasize something. And one of the words that happens often in the book of Jonah is the word down. Jonah went down to Joppa. He paid a fare, and it says he went down into a boat. He wanted to get away. So I want you to keep in mind this picture. You step down into something because when you choose to disobey God or not obey Him instantaneously, I can guarantee you you will go downwards. Your life will spiral 
downwards. And for some of you, you're wondering why your life is the way it is. Is it possible that there's still a word hanging out there? That God has spoken to you and your life will never be right until you obey God fully and thoroughly. God says, go east, young man, to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no way, Jose. Or he probably said, Hoshea. No way. I'm going west. I'm going to go to Tarshish, which, by the way, was 2,500 miles away from Nineveh, in the opposite direction. One commentator said it would take a person with the sailboats they, they had in that day, it would take a person almost a year to sail to Tarshish. I mean, it, this is like Jonah is doubling down in his disobedience. He said, I'm not going to do it. And it's possible that someone here today, deep in your heart, you know that God has spoken something to you. Somewhere you were to go, something you were to do, or something you were not to do anymore, or stop saying. And you have been struggling, and you're wondering why your life has spiraled downward. Oh, you work hard to come across as a follower of God, but the truth is you're not a follower at all. You're a runner. Or maybe you're not a runner. Maybe you're a drifter. Uh, I have had it happen to me a number of times. You, you guys know that I like to take walks. And when I go for a walk, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes I put my mind in neutral. Do you guys know what that is, right? How many of you guys know what neutral is? How many of you guys, when your wife asks you, what are you thinking about, your answer is nothing. And they say, you can't think about something. Your mind's got to always work. You say, no, I just shut it off for a while. Just stop. Well, that's what I do. I start walking down the road, and I'm not paying any attention to anything, not where I am, what I'm doing, how long I've gone. And all of a sudden, something will click at one moment. <coughs> Excuse me. And I will realize, where am I? Oh my word, I've got to walk all the way back home. It's a long way. Well, that's kind of what I think we do spiritually. Sometimes it's not that we're outright disobeying. We're not like intentionally rebelling. We just are kind of drifting along doing our own thing, especially when we feel like life is going pretty well. I'm okay. God's blessed my life. And you can go hours, you can go days without even thinking once about God. And I would suggest to you that's called drifting. So you're either running or you're drifting or you're actually following God. And in Jonah's case, he was running. There were times in your life when you couldn't wait to wake up because you were so excited about the possibility of another day with the Lord. There are times in some of your lives when you could hardly go to sleep because you didn't want to stop thinking about God. Your waking thought and your ending of the day thought was of Him. And the joy that His presence brought to you. But it's possible that you're here today and it doesn't feel that way anymore. You feel far from God. Maybe, maybe it started with one Sunday. You just said, you know, I'm feeling awful tired. I was up late last night. I couldn't sleep. I'm just not going to go to church. Now, is not going to church all that big of a deal? No. You can meet with God and not be in this place. I hope you can. I hope you do. But in your case, you know, it had less to do really with you just being tired and more to do with you just saying, I feel like I'm okay. I can skip it today. 
and then next week, and then next week, and next week. And before you know it, without even intending to, you can't remember the last time you felt close to God. And like Jonah, the voice of the Lord is calling out to you. It wasn't that you were running. It wasn't that you were outright rebelling. You were drifting along, thinking, well, unless I outright openly sin, I guess I'm okay. Well, I might not be praying much. I might not be reading the Bible much anymore, but I know God's out there and it's all okay. I've had people say to me many times, and I've probably done it myself, well, God understands. I think God does understand. He understands we have an opportunity to draw near to him or we have an opportunity to just drift or to run. So the first point was when God comes to you, he will often speak something to you that you don't want to do. The second point is that when you do hear that word of the Lord, God speaks, you can always find a boat going in the opposite direction. Number three, when you're on the run, don't be surprised that God will send a storm to grab your attention. Verse 4, look at it with me. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. I told you there's some words to note. One of those words is the word down. Another word is great or mighty. And notice it here. There was a great wind. There was a mighty tempest. We see here, and I want you to pay attention to this, we see here that it was God not just circumstantial stuff happening. It wasn't the devil. It was God who sent the great storm. Did you see that? Look at verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind. Now, keep in mind, this was a ship full of cargo being manned by sailors who knew what they were doing. But when they say this was a great storm so that they feared for their life, it was probably a great storm. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah, get it here, Jonah had gone down. Again, the word down. Gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. Let us draw straws. That we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. They believed that somehow, if they drew straws, each person had a straw and they would draw. Whoever got the shortest straw, that was their God's way of pointing out that was the person responsible. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what are your people? So he said to him, get this line. This is the most ironic line in the whole book, I think. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Who's saying that? Jonah. What's he saying? I fear the Lord the maker of heaven and earth, the dry land and the sea. I, Jonah, are you really trying to tell us you fear God? 
That you're a God follower? A God worshiper? While you're running away 2,500 miles to get away from God's presence? And you have the audacity, the irony to say, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. And I want to suggest to you that's why this book is so relevant to us today. Because I believe we live in a society and we, 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 we have a church that the biggest problem we have is a generation of people who call themselves followers of God, but they don't live like it. If you were to Google right now how many Christians are in the United States of America, it would be a significant number. But my question to you today is, how many of those people are actually following God? Obeying God? How many of those people, God has made a demonstrable difference in their life? How many of you sitting here today, has God changed your life completely and you're going on a different course because you have encountered the living God? Or are we just cultural Christians? Are we consumeristic Christians? You know, it's where we make a deal with God. God, as long as you will do what I say, you will be my butler You'll be my Santa Claus. You'll give me all of your blessings. As long as you do what I want you to do, I'll come to church. I'll even throw some money in the plate once in a while. I might even say grace over my meal at lunchtime today. I'll do something, God. As long as you, God, do your part first. That's called consumerism. And that's many Christians today in America. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. You know, just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Doesn't mean you're a real follower of God. You can say you worship God. You can sing these songs because you like the tunes. You like the melody. You like how our worship team puts it on. But that doesn't mean you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you're a follower of God at all. It's amazing to me that while these mariners, these sailors, were fighting for their lives, Jonah is down in the belly of the boat, sleeping everything away. You see, your rebellion, your running from God, affects people around you whether you realize it or not. How you comport yourself matters. How you speak makes a difference in people's lives. If you're going to be a true follower of Christ, your very presence changes the atmosphere around you for Christ. Unless you're running from God. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing even more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. But the sailors were merciful. They didn't want to hurt him. They didn't want to kill him by throwing him overboard. So they continued to try to fight. They continued to try to light the load until finally they realized if we don't do something, we're all going to perish. So they cast him over the side of the boat into the sea. Now, remember what we're talking about. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to this boat. He went down into the boat and he slept. And a great wind came. So much so that they feared for their lives. And Jonah was thrown down into the sea. 
Which brings me to my fourth and final point. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. They took Jonah, they threw him overboard, the raging sea grew calm. But look at verse 17. Now the Lord, the same Lord who had prepared a great wind, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord had prepared ahead of time a great fish. In other words, this was not God's plan B. God says, what I have for you as a task, a mission, is so important, I can't go back to a different plan. I'm going to make sure this plan works. And he had planned a great fish ahead of time. And I wonder if God has sent a storm into your life. Or maybe you feel at this point in time like you're in the belly of the whale itself, your worst nightmare. Is it possible that God is trying to get your attention? I'm not suggesting to you that every time something hard happens, God's doing it to you because of your sin. I'm not saying that at all. I am wondering, however, is it possible God is trying to get your attention? Trying to get you refocused back on the heart and the calling of God. I believe there are times when God may allow things to happen to us that we consider our worst nightmares, but He's actually doing it for our good and His purposes in the earth. Have you ever said, it seems like no matter what I do, everything seems to be going wrong? Is it possible God's letting this stuff go wrong on purpose so that you might turn your heart more fully back to Him? Could God be trying to get your attention today? So the points I gave you were very simply, God does speak, and we have a choice. We can obey, or we can disobey. And remember, delayed obedience is disobedience. Number two, if you choose to disregard or disobey that word, you can always find a ship sailing in the opposite direction. Maybe it's your friends. Some friends come along just at a time when you're struggling with what God wants and says, yeah, you don't need to do it. Come with us. Or maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your coworkers, your boss, your situation. Maybe you just allowed circumstances to lead you astray down to Tarshish. Number three, in your wandering, don't be surprised that God may send a storm to try to get your attention. And then number four, if none of that works, don't be shocked that you end up in the belly of the whale, your worst nightmare, in order that God would say, do you get it yet? I have a plan for your life. And the only way your life will truly be happy and you will have peace is when you do my plan for your life. When God does this, it's not because he's angry at you. He loved us when we were sinners, when we were his enemies. He loves you now that you're his child. He does it because he loves you and knows what's best for you. Would you stand with me? You can either keep running or you can come back home to God. And again, I said to you earlier, you might look great to everybody around you. Everybody around you is looking at you and saying, well, they're wonderful Christians. They don't know what's going on inside. Only God does. Only God knows whether you're running or whether you're drifting, or whether you're following. Have you found lately that you don't feel as close to God as you used to? That just life, this pandemic, everything has just caught you upside the head, and you're just like, I know he's out there, I just don't feel his presence like I used to. Is it possible that you've been drifting? Or is it possible that God has actually spoken a word to you, and you still have not obeyed it? 
And again, it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he knows his way is the best. Contrary to what you might think, his way is the best. Would you bow your heads with me? And if that's you, if you've just been drifting along, figuring, okay, I guess life's okay. Or maybe you've been running, struggling with obeying something God's asked of you. Now would be a great time to say, God, I want to come home. I want to come home to your presence. Don't allow your sin to keep you distant from God. God made full provision for you. And he knows your weakness, absolutely. He understands our frailty. But he also knows better than we do what's best for us. And what's going to make a difference in our world. If that's you, just take a moment and say, God, I want to come home. I want to know the nearness of your presence and the dearness of your voice. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for each one that's here and those who are online listening. And I pray that throughout this book of Jonah, as we look at chapter each week, we will learn something about what is your heart for the world and your heart for us. And that like Jonah, we will come to the place, as we will find out next week, where we humble ourselves and come home. Lord, let your grace draw us back to that closeness, that intimacy that we felt with you from the very beginning. Let us not be like the churches in Revelation where we have left our first love. We've abandoned it to just kind of go our own way and figure we can make do. Draw us back to yourself, Father. Use whatever storm and whatever fish you have to. Draw us back to yourself. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and have a great rest of your day.